Hey everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am here to talk about Madame Saint Titty, which I'm going to pronounce it that way the entire time, and I demand a martini. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's Demand a Martini. Uh, if you're not sick of hearing me yet on this podcast, you're going to hate it. So, or you're gonna love it. I don't know. I can't remember what double negative I just said. If but you hi. are, if you are sick of me, then you will not love this show. Exactly. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I feel like I've just like recorded a, a, a whole long list of episodes with you recently. And we have, and we have more to come. So. I know. Uh, I'm gonna do a preemptive announcement. This is just for our Patreon listeners. Demanda and I have been talking for a few months about doing a drag race style kind of fashion review with the X-Men's 60s costumes. And there's going to be an all drag queen panel. And I'm so fucking excited for this episode. <laughs> I'm like yes. genuinely filled with yes, joy. So, so yes, yeah, so I'm super excited. Uh, confirmed my friends, uh, Dax exclamation point, whom people would know from RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, season eight, um, infamously. Uh, and um, Tay Bobo, who is uh, an amazing performer in Canada, who is also tangentially related to Drag Race. She is the drag daughter of Scarlet Bobo, who made it to the top three of Canada's Drag Race, I believe, season one. Yes. Um, I am nowhere near Drag Race, aside from just, you know, my my friendship with Dax. So I'm like the least famous but, of the three of them. Ex except, of course, on X-Men Twitter. But yes, you're the most famous drag queen on my show. <laughs> uh, Demanda and I also just got to do X-Men uh, Silver Age Jeopardy together. Which oh my so goodness, fun. so... Which, uh, you know, by the time this this comes out, will have art will will have also come out, or no? That's coming out on March. It will come out before this is released. Oh, okay. Uh, or uh, right around the same time. But yes, yeah, spoilers. Okay. spoilers are fine. <laughs> okay, because I'm like spoiler alert. I don't do well. <laughs> I am not as well versed in uh in uh. Silver Age X Men, as I thought that I was, and also Rob Rob was also like fucking killing it. And then, like with Derek. the points, um, is it Dan? Derek, yeah, Derek, yeah, Derek. Again, they were like killing it. I I got in with like a few good ones, but then threw it all away in Final Jeopardy. As I, Do you know, what I learned after we finished recording, I literally didn't know this first. Rob Salerno has won Jeopardy before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah I saw that. Like, the actual, like actual game Jeopardy. show Jeopardy, he won the game. Uh, I'm I'm actually secretly thrilled that Derek won. It wasn't rigged in any way. It was open yeah, competition. Yeah. But Derek, Derek and I became friends when he messaged me on Twitter, basically like, hey, I love your show. And he, he, he did like, he's a science fiction writer. He's an incredible writer. Brilliant, like, world-building universe skills in his brain. He's amazing. But he, he's like one of my listeners who will do the, uh, like, I'm going to read the book and treat it like a book review. Like, he, oh. he like stays up with the show every week. So the fact that he won it was like a little quiet and nervous. Oh. It's so cute. I, he's that's, a great guy. That's so wonderful. Again, uh, for people who, like, know me and follow me, know that, so I, most of my X-Men knowledge literally comes from just, like, osmosis. Like, most of my X-Men knowledge comes from the fact that I, in the very early 2000s, um, 
read uncannyxmen.net backwards and forwards several times um, through a series of jobs where I wasn't given things to do and they told me just to like sit up front. <laughs> um, but uh, again, I still love the X-Men and I have, of course, uh, again, we're n- people have seen my my comic book collection in pictures. Um, but uh, but no, again, I want to come back after you do like half of Claremont's run and see if I can redeem myself. Oh, darling, you'll be invited back many times before we get to Claremont's run. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I asked for Jeopardy. I uh, I have a tentative calendar for the entire year of 2023. I only schedule the show three months in advance, but as far as like the content goes, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be like the middle of next year before we get to Claremont. I've done oh, one. I've done one Claremont issue on my show. It was Bizarre Adventures number 27, which is oh yeah, yeah, that, that Annie, Annie, what's her face, getting hit by a car. Yep, yep, Annie and uh, and Sarah's and and Atuma. Yeah, it's uh, it's a yeah. lot of fun. And in fact, Derek was on that show. Uh, but we'll get there. Claremont has once in a while, I'll like tag him in a in a tweet or uh, an Instagram post, and he'll respond, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like makes me nervous every time. He he is definitely like crazy grandpa where you're like, oh grandpa, thank you so much for paying attention to me. But then like he keeps talking, like oh. Oh, okay, okay, Grandpa. Like, like I would be delighted to have him on my show one day. Of course, um, amazing. I mean, again, I don't badmouth anyone. At least I try not to. But I mean, you heard about like his rant at like one of the last conventions he was invited mm-hmm. to. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I feel like he needs. And the thing is, I don't know whether or not that's just like his thing, and he doesn't like it. But I'm like, I feel like he needs like a good moderator to just be like. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so that way he's not just going on and on and on. I have um, interviewed a lot of personalities on this show at this point. I hope I do an okay job. <laughs> Sometimes I will prepare like three pages of questions and run out of questions because people only give short answers. Other times I'll only get like two questions in and then that's the whole show. I'm like, all right, thank you. Right. And I just got to scrap the rest. <laughs> which is, which, you know, which is fun. But, uh, but yeah, I, I I mean, uh I I know that a few years and actually like now it makes sense um when you know friends of our you know X-Men Twitter social media uh when the folks who were doing uh the uncanny experience I think they were putting out feelers about who people would want to be at a convention um I I said I said the only reason I'd go out west is number 1 if I was invited. And number two was if, because again, I uh, I can only go to so many conventions because it's expensive and I only get so much time off. Well, and it's so uh, exhausting. Jeez. Yes. And and I mean, as, also like as a, as a drag queen and a drag cosplayer, it's like, it's all day in drag. And again, I love it. It's super fun. But like after three days, it's, it's super tiring. Um, but anyway, but I was like, I would only go if I was if I was first of all invited. And number two, I'm like, it would need to be like a panel of like heavy hitter creators for me to be like, because also I, I mean, not to like sound, you know, what whatever, how, however it sounds, I don't go to conventions to attend like panels. Like I don't attend a lot of panels. I'm usually sure, sure. on panels or I'm working a table or I'm, you know, doing something for like, an event or a cosplay contest or like like I'm usually like 
working in some capacity at a convention. So like, I don't attend, I don't like just go to panels. Like FlameCon was one of the first ones where I actually like got to go to panels. <laughs> There's was a- so fun. God, it was fun. I'm totally yes. planning on going again this year. Yes, yes. I'm, 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 again, fingers crossed. Um, but hopefully I should, I should be going. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like that was like, like going to that uh, panel with Steve Orlando and the Homo Superior podcast. That was like one of the first, cause like, obviously I was going to go to the Cerebro and uh, Jay podcast yes. because like I was, I was there with Cerebro. So like, obviously I was going to go attend that panel. Um, but like the Homo Superior one, like that was like one of the first panels where I just got to like oh, this isn't about me right now. I can just sit here and just listen <laughs> and be and be a part of it and not need to be like doing something <laughs> you know during this panel, which was which was a lot of fun. Again, I don't I don't get to do that that often. Um like, you know, I just got back from it's now been, you know, a few weeks, but I just did Farpoint convention and I love Farpoint. It is definitely one of the highlights of my convention season, but damn it if they don't keep me busy <laughs> at that uh, con like i i moderated i think four panels uh we had our drag show i was also invited to be a part of um they do like a like a game show uh type panel so i was like one of the quote celebrity guests um because we were doing hollywood squares type type thing sure uh, sci-fi squares and um so yeah i was very busy like I don't even think I was at my table which is that's a cool feather in your cap though to be like this busy working professional at a comic convention which is which is great however I was not at my table which means I literally sold nothing sure which means I made like none of like no no income was coming in the whole weekend which usually like when I'm at my table like because that's the thing about when you do when you do table at a convention and you have things to sell again not everyone tables to sell things but when you do have things to sell like people want to buy it from you it's like you can have people manning your table but they're like oh when are they coming back because they like it's all about like the experience of buying your merch from you for people who have been to a con and you know what it's like to do that all day walk around every day days in a row it's exhausting for professionals who are at the tables, it's similarly but differently exhausting. I've done, uh, back when I used to work for Marvel, I did a number of cons. And it's like 10, 12 hours a day sitting and smiling and engaging with people. And you can't turn off ever. And it's wearing. Yes. And then you like take a break and get like a hot dog from the vendor. And that's your own. Then you run to the bathroom and you're back at the table again. Well, and and again, when you're in drag all day, like it's just it just like adds exponentially onto like that sort of exhaustion like social battery um because because there are some days where it's like oh were you coming to the party later it's like no bitch i'm getting out of dragon i'm going to bed the last time my husband and i took our kids to uh disneyland a couple years ago and it was like a three-day thing and by day three i was done i was so tired and we were in line and the kids were grumpy and we're waiting for food and they all go sit down and i'm talking to this woman who's in line behind me for like a churro or some i don't Mm -hmm. know And she was super nice and whatever. She did the whole Disney thing, Disney mouse ears and shirt and like everything. And we're talking and I'm like, yeah, we're visiting. And she goes, oh, every year my husband and I save up all our vacation. And then we get like a season pass to Disney and we come for like every day for six weeks straight. And I was like, what? 
then my husband and I went on a gay cruise a few months later and it's so much it was fun but it's yeah. so it's a party every night and everything's crazy and I'm, I'm like I need to go to bed it's 10 o'clock and we were talking to people on that cruise who were like yeah we do like five cruises a year and I was like holy fuck this is how I think of convention goers I go yes. one or two a year and that's all I can handle but I know there's people who do like eight yes. around so, so like, and like I I I wish that I could go to to Katsukon more regularly. I've only been twice, but Katsukon is always either the weekend before or the weekend after Farpoint. And Katsukon also intermittently has like invited me as a guest. And so like again, not to be that girl, but I'm going to be that girl like I don't pay to go to conventions. So like <laughs> so like I so you know, I don't go unless like there's a reason for me to be there yeah, yeah if you're a professional you should expect to be treated like right a I get it. And, and 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 also and like katsukan at the gaylord which again for people who are in like the washington dc area who have been to the gaylord katsukan is also like one of those very densely packed conventions and there's never anywhere to sit so unless you have a table or a booth or a friend who is like okay with you sitting down for five seconds there's nowhere to go so like you're literally just standing and walking around like through a sea of people all day. And also, and when you're, so like, obviously like cosplayers are stopped a lot and Katsukon is like an anime convention. Um, so, so it's like not as like weird to see like super crazy stuff because like anime is a lot of nonsense. Uh, nonsense in a good way, not nonsense in a bad way. Sure, like sure. Anime is just like a lot of nonsense. But then when you're like, for example, you know, I go you know, to a lot of conventions with, with Dax, it's like we're two seven feet tall, you know, seven foot tall women walking around. Like obviously a lot of people are going to like want to get our attention and take a picture and all of that stuff. It's just, it's so exhausting. Like when Dax and I were at Awesome Con last year and we met up with um like power of x-men and mr scott free and all of them like paul definitely was like very like well he's like oh we should go walk around the floor and it's like girl we barely walked two feet and like we've already been stopped 15 times like you go ahead and go like we're obviously we're gonna here. stand here and smile for pictures and, <laughs> exactly yeah. like we're we're here now um but, but anyway but katsukan is very it is very exhausting even if you go for just a day because of because of like that and I just uh, like coming back from Utah going to Farpoint people like oh are you gonna come to Katsukan I was like girl no I'm taking a nap <laughs> so <laughs> when before we started recording I was like an hour for this character should be good but we're gonna talk and here we are 20 minutes <laughs> well, you know you know but but also speaking of conventions um I mean, I'm excited. So uh, I know that we've kind of chatted a little bit about some things about Fan X in Salt mm -hmm. Lake this fall. Demand um, and I, I are actually... tentatively making plans for Fan X and for FlameCon. We'll see. We pitched some panels. We'll see what they yeah. say. Um, and so I'm also hoping to do um, some panels with uh, with my other friends, uh, you know, friends that I, I talked to you about, um, some friends who are uh, also Salt Lake natives. Yes. Um, to uh, To potentially do do some panels with them. I think they were talking about doing stuff with like the Batman family because like both of them are like big like Batman people, which is great. I also enjoy some Batman. Oh, I so, love like, Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, and you know, I like try to, I, like when I'm on panels, I always try to like cosplay something that's like halfway related to it. So, cause you know, it's, you know, just like a visual thing at, at a panel. So 
So I'm just like, oh, I'm like, all right. I'm like, what Bat family person? Because I already have a um, original Bat girl, Bet Kane. Um, but I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I want to bring her. I'm like, I would want to do something new. But I'm like, oh, stop making new cosplays. <laughs> <laughs> so so Demanda and I connect for a lot of reasons. We're friends in real life. We've hung out a few times, uh, once in New York, once here in town at my house. Uh, I initially met Demanda through the X Twitter community. I launched the show. Demanda came on my show in uh, Marvel Girl Patty Cat Kitty Cat Mask Drag. Yes, uh, yes. She came back and did a Lorelei episode with me. We also covered Uncanny X-Men minus one together. Uh, where we got to talk about the character Tanya Trask or Madam Sanctity, which is where this uh, Patreon episode kind of spins out of. We're trying to do the ancillary 60s stuff the most. Uh, and then Demand has been on uh, a couple more times even since then, and we're already talking about more plans. We are we are uh, birds of a feather in a number of ways. Demand and I both grew up uh, in a repressed Mormon communities and households as queer people. Uh, we also have a number of the same friends through this community, but we got to hang out in person and just kind of hit it off. And it's just been easy and chill. You're so lovely to just chat with it. I'm so Oh, happy. I know. I know. I'm just so easy and lovely to talk to. Uh, <laughs> so says my therapist. Um, I am a therapist, but not <laughs> your therapist. <laughs> um uh, But anytime people tell me that, that, you know, I'm so easy to get along with, I'm always reminded of, Hope Floats. Did you ever see that with General? I did. Williams? I don't so, care for it, but I did see it. <laughs> I, it's it, it's one of like my comfort movies. Like when I'm feeling a certain type of way, like it's one of those movies that I just kind of put on and it's fairly soothing. But it's when Sandra Bullock is fighting with her mother, played by Gina Rollins. She's like, "You used to be slow, so pleasing, because I had to be pleasing, Mama." And like that's what I always feel like when people are like, "Oh, you're just so nice, because I have to be." Um, <laughs> I I know what that's like. When I was looking at the content for today's episode, I remembered this video we watched in like seventh grade. It was about perspective. And this is like old, I mean, seventh grade, I would, this was like the late 1980s or early, no, early 90s for me, 92. So there was a, there was a, an image of a square blanket that people were picnicking on in a park. And the camera was positioned above the blanket and it was talking about perspective. And how everything looks normal sized, but when you zoom out 10% and then it'd go like wider. So the blanket's smaller because we're looking higher up. And then another 10% and then another. And it does it like 10 times. And by the time you zoom out 10 times, you're seeing like earth as a speck. Mm. And then it zooms all the way back in and it goes in 10%. And then it keeps going down. So you're like in the cellular fabric of the blanket, like looking at the bacteria that form it. That was the weird image I got when we were looking at this character because Madame Sanctity is a character that's pretty easy to understand when you're just looking at the blanket. But when you zoom way in, it's really fucking complicated because it's alternate timelines, alternate futures, clones, time travel, multiple characters from different like franchises mixed, not franchises, but different like time periods and timelines and, mixing and, and like time periods and, and also like factions of like the x universe yes and that's that's where when you zoom out and you start looking at like all of the character histories and like the way it this is a very complicated character and like and like it. also what kind of fascinates me about her is that how she gets so like in her time in her personal timeline how she starts off as like one sort of like novice and like 
oh, kind of, kind of like very sweet and like wanting to see her family. Like when we first saw her in Uncanny X-Men minus one. Which is but, like near the end of her chronology, actually. We'll get there. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, but, but like, but again, but like that's like the beginning of like, kind of like the beginning of her story, but like the end of like the last time we've seen her. However, but like when you go to like towards the end of what would be like her adult life and it's like, girl, you're aligned with the wrong people. <laughs> like, like what? Like what just what happened to you? Like where like where did where did this like train derail multiple times? Cause she switches sides several times and it's just very it's crazy to me to see like and obviously again, like outside of universe, it's like, oh well, the, you know, the writer wanted her to do it. Like that's but you know, that's always like, you know, the easy way out. But it's like trying to like reconcile the character's motivations. It's like what was her motivation like she says to rachel that really she wanted to just go back and like see her family but then you know she like entered the 12 into master mold so it's like girl what like what were your weird hidden agenda this woman is fully insane uh, i've had tom reborn on the show twice and we've kind of become buddies which is amazing and with tom he's the person i can go big concept with in the first one we talk about sliding time scale yeah yeah second interview we talk about retroactive continuity I would love to have Tom back on in the future. We'll talk about like the the science of time travel and multiverses. But in the Marvel universe, the idea or concept of time travel is really lovely. You go back in time, you visit yourself as a kid, maybe you change something and then you go back to the future at the end. But that's not how it works. They have these weird kind of science and rules where if you go back and alter the timeline, you are instead creating a divergent timeline. You got to think of it like of another branch on a tree or like a stream coming off a river where you change it. And then the, the future you return to has been altered and either the it either exists codependently from the one you came from or, uh, or it is permanently altered the one you came from, kind of depending on how the story is told. The way a lot of people get around it is if you go back in time and change events, the paradox of that is that it was always that way. The right. future that, that you're living in, that. the future that you're living in exists because you went to the past and changed particular events. And I don't know if you're reading Steve Orlando's Marauders right now. Not currently, no. The 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 story, this is I'll, I'll keep this brief because it's very complicated. Kate Pride gets a box from like two billion years ago with her name in it saying, come back and rescue us, basically. And there's an ancient society of mutants called Threshold that she goes back to try to save. But three of the members of this society have existed in like a DNA form that they get revived on Krakoa and then they go back in time. But now it turns out that Kate was the one that established Threshold in the first place and also sent it back billions of years. So it's this it's this whole weird, crazy, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but- Yeah, yeah, but wow. It fucks with your head pretty easily because there's the there's the timeline we're in, but then there's the ones that exist that are possible. And right. we have a number of characters in the X-Men franchise that are hugely established in what they call possible futures. Some of the characters are really well known, like Bishop and Rachel Summers, or, or, or Ascani is her name now. And others are characters that come from the present and get sent to various futures, like Cable uh, and Strife. Uh, who is cloned there. And then there's other characters that are much more ancillary, characters that are from futures, but they are lesser known. 
And Mother Ascani is, or excuse me, Madam Sanctity is one of those, but she's actually from the present and, and spends her time in the future. So this is what I mean when you can zoom in or zoom out and it gets very simple or very complicated, but we'll try to keep it simple for today. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on all this. I feel like we needed to start with the complexity. Yeah, I, I mean, like time travel is so crazy because again, like it's then established that that Tanya can go back in time but Rachel then tries to stop her from going back in time, but she keeps doing it. And all, and also, I mean, we can, like, my biggest question with her is, and, you know, we can talk, maybe I should save it for the end, but just to, like, kind of foreshadow where, where I want to go is, where is she now, though? Because the whole reason that Rachel is now back that happened in the Cable series is when... um uh, you know, apocalypse was it? Was it? I think it was because of the twelve. I think, um, and like apocalypse, like going away, and then the entire sort of like Ascani future got destroyed, and then Rachel then got flung into like this other whole like prison dimension or something, and Rachel ha- or, and Cable had to go save her. So then he pulled her back, and then of course you know she got captured by Elias Bogan and yada 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 yada. When I worked on the Marvel handbooks, keeping track of alternate timelines was my least favorite <laughs> and most headache oriented because we designate them with numbers. And this is like right. a Chris Claremont Excalibur thing. Our yeah. world is Earth 616. Yes. And then there's all these bajillion other universes out there to the point where people can exist within dreams in the Marvel universe. So mm-hmm. even when a character has a dream, like Jean dreams that she was in a bikini at school. That's now officially an alternate reality, according to the Marvel handbook, like right track. And it's so exhausting. But you have characters that live on our earth in right. Marvel that come from these alternate timelines. And sometimes here's a weird one. I was talking about this to someone the other day. Robert Kirkman did a Marvel team-up series a few years back where he brought in an alternate Tony Stark who's evil and he's the villain. And that villain is still on our world. He's in a jail somewhere. (laughs) And then you have the story where someone used the cosmic cube to change the past and created an alternate Captain America who's like a Nazi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the guy behind Secret America. He also still exists on our planet. (laughs) But he didn't come from an alternate timeline. He came from the cosmic cube timeline, which supposedly still exists because these characters both exist now. It gets very wonky very quickly. Yes. It it gets very but so so anyway, so my my question then is because Rachel the reason that quote she got saved and again I'm sure there will be some lovely listener out there to potentially correct me on this but again she got pulled out of that and like shoved elsewhere because then that timeline never existed and because she already existed outside of that she got thrown out so then I'm like but what about Tanya she also technically existed outside of that timeline yeah. so she should still be. I'm sure flowing through time, but as it's like, but does she like Rachel go back? Does she regress in her age and her personal timeline to go back to being like the teenager lost in lost in time? Or is she now still like the crazy old lady adult that she is, uh, you know, towards the end of her adulthood? So switching gears, but staying on topic, but we haven't even started yet. I know. (laughs) There are a number of mutants with kind of bizarre power sets. 
storm is like intricately connected to like weather systems that respond to her emotions. Magneto is connected to like the electromagnetic field of the earth. Uh, we have characters that are connected to wildly different, more macro concepts. Moira McTaggart, if she is killed, resets the timeline to her birth. Like she has some sort of correlation with the multiverse in, in a way that her powers connect to particular timelines. Tempo is connected to her timeline and she can alter time and change her timeline, but it like state keeps her, like she can remember everything that's been changed, but really she's creating divergent timelines if she changes the time. Another wild one is Destiny, who's always trying to like look forward and see potential timelines that exist ahead. And she wants to craft the best one for her timeline. Like when you start putting this in the concept of mutant powers, it's fascinating. And Bolivar Trask, who is the creator of the Sentinels, the anthropologist who designs death machines, has two mutant children. One of them is Larry Trask, who can see into the future like Destiny. And the other one is Tanya Trask, who can travel through time to different places. And so his kids are both connected to these more wild concepts of like mutant powers related to the multiverse or the... Uh, have you seen uh, the Loki series on Disney yes. Plus? And mm -hmm. th that did a pretty good job because we've got a lot of multiverse stuff happening in Marvel mm -hmm. right now. The movies, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, uh, the Avengers and the Endgame went back in time and changed things. Uh, if you saw the new Ant-Man movie, The Quantum Realm, which mm -hmm. uh, Kang the Conqueror is fucking coming with the whole council of... Yeah, so this stuff gets very big very quickly. But when we mold it down to the, the guy that created the Sentinels has two kids who, <laughs> uh, who can navigate this stuff. One by predicting the future, one by traveling through time and both trying to manipulate things, but also fight against their dad. Like it's a, it's a really interesting place to begin this. It, and it is it is very strange that like so uh, for a man who's worried about the future and all he does is because he only he only knew about um his uh, his son's powers well his, so far as we know <laughs> well well because well by the t well again in you know in uncanny x-men negative one which you know we so like you know we know that tanya exists but like we don't know how much he knew about like what it is that she could do because she just kind of like disappeared and nobody knows what happened to her was kind of the thing so it's interesting that like he and again this is all you know because it's retro continuity um kind of stuff but it's like you know he didn't he didn't try to like use his son's powers like see into the future to see maybe where she went but also um you know he larry he also didn't know how to sort of like get Larry to focus because of course he did it while like Larry is in like these weird coma trances and all and and I think because of all of the um it's also just interesting how uh you do understand how like mutant powers are also definitely connected to like people's emotional states where it's like if, if all Larry hears from his dad is like how bad mutants are the only futures that he seems to see are these like terrible futures of like mutants attacking and them taking over so it's again some of that like uh um self self-fulfilling prophecy kind of stuff so everybody knows ret retroactive continuity is when a future writer goes back and adds things that were supposed to be there all along and this story is full of retcons 
Uh, let me cover the two big families here quickly without delving in, although we could, again, this is that we could zoom in or zoom out here, but I'm going to keep it surface level. So Cyclops and Jean Grey, right? And then we got the Phoenix Force, and then Jean Grey's gone, and Mr. Sinister clones Jean into Madeline Pryor, who marries Scott, and they have a baby named Nathan. All of this is relatively simple so far. Then Madeline Pryor becomes the Goblin Queen and dies. Jean Grey comes back from the dead. She and Scott are together and they're raising baby Nathan, who gets infected with the techno-organic virus during the big fight with Apocalypse and the Dark Riders. And a woman named Ascani, and this is in the like X Factor 60 era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like it's like right it, before it, Peter it, David it, comes on. Like the, the 60s, 70s, it's when they Finally, wear like the blue and gold with like the gold X, and Jean has the yeah. Giant I think it's like issue sixty six, sixty seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it, it's, tw it's toward the end of like before the Muir Island saga. It's like right before the Muir Island. Saga. This time traveling woman comes and takes the baby to the future because it sucks to write babies in comics, and it's always smarter to age them up somehow so they become characters that we care about, which is why this happens so often. Right. And around, I think it's even before this, we've met the character Cable who at the time there was no intention for him to be the baby, but Cable's uh, like an old man with a glowy eye and a metal arm and he's running, he's like a mili like militant mercenary guy who's now running X-Force. Then there's Executioner's Song. Cable has a clone named Strife, who is this evil guy who runs the Mutant Liberation Front. And there's the giant revelation that Cable is baby Nate from the future. So the baby was taken away. Now he's come back as a man who's older than Cyclops uh, and Gene together. Uh, then they launch a series called Ascani Son. So Nate was in the future. He's there. Uh, he has a number of crazy adventures uh, and he is called Dayspring. He represents like the Messiah or the hope of this future, which is under the rule of Apocalypse. And this is the story. This is where Ascani Son came from. The other retcon, and then we're going to delve into Ascani Son. The other retcon is we meet Bolivar Trask, who's the creator of the Sentinels. He dies at the original end of the Sentinel trilogy. Later, Roy Thomas creates the character Larry Trask, who is the son of Bolivar, who uh, is a mutant who can see the future, but he's got a big ass like fly medallion around his neck that blocks his powers. The medallion, I love it. Uh, he is a character who has some crazy, we've covered some of his appearances on my show. We'll get to the others, which are in Avengers of all places. Uh, uh, Roy Thomas also, but this is a guy who hates being a mutant. Uh, he weirdly designed Havoc's costume and codename, which is a fun fact about this guy. And then many years later in the Ascani Sun series, we meet a character named Madame Sanctity. Years after that, they go back and reveal that she is Bolivar Trask's daughter and thus Larry Trask's sister. So all of these are like retcon on retcon on retcon, but it makes up a very complex uh, world within the X-Men universe. Uh, so we're getting ready to start. <laughs> but tell me, tell me your thoughts if you have any on the Trask Summers Ascani. Uh, I mean, it, I, again, like it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, sure, all of this, all of this makes sense, but it does take time to explain and like give the proper context of. Um, again, it just reminds me of like all the times, like for example, um, one one of my first appearances on the Power of X-Men podcast was a Madeline Pryor episode. And so as I was uh, styling my Madeline Pryor wig, my uh, roommate was like, roommate at the time was like, so who, who is this person? I'm like, well, <laughs> and like, so it's like, you, you, ha you, you have to get all of that context 
before like jumping jumping in because like if I were to ever wear Madame Sanctity at um at a convention like it would be like a whole lot to try to explain who she is like there are definitely some characters with like you need like all of that context whereas like there are some like when I wore um Rachel Summers at a convention oh she's Jean Grey and Cyclops's daughter got it done don't you don't really need like a whole lot more like you could go into the days of future past time traveling yada 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 okay, Nate Gray <laughs> right right it's like, it's like you you could but it's like but you don't really need to all you need to say is she's she's from an alternate future Cyclops Jean Grey's daughter Pe- people typically like oh got it cool yeah but like yeah. Tanya Trask it's like well <laughs> <laughs> How much time I mean, do we have to sit and chat? We'll keep it simple after this because we can do that. We can keep yeah. it very the daughter of the the daughter of the guy that made the Sentinels is stuck in the future. Right, right. The past. I mean, we can keep it real simple, but it's just it's it's really interesting. So let's delve into Ascani Sun, uh, which is a series from 1995. Coffee kicked in. So Ascani Sun is from 1995. This is by Scott Lobdell, who was writing so much X-Men, kind of right after Fabian Nicieza, uh, and Jeff Loeb, who's an incredible writer. Uh, Gene Ha is doing the art here. It's unlike kind of any other art style. It's really interesting. It's very futuristic. Uh, this book, if I described it simply, is like Star Wars meets Le Miserable. It's like this very messianic story with like a future. There's a, a despo who's like very Emperor Palpatine. That's apocalypse running things. Uh, in the Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, we get the story. It's a different limited series where Cyclops and Jean Grey on their honeymoon after their wedding end up in the future in different bodies where they get to spend 12 years raising Nathan, their baby, uh, into like adolescence and they overthrow Apocalypse and then they go back in the past. This is the sequel to that series, although there's another sequel. God, this is so complicated. (laughs) But Ascani Sun is the series that's meant to pick up the story of Nathan after the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix ends. And and, and it's a good series. The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix is great. Ascani Sun is also great. Uh, So before we get into Madame Sanctity, do you have comments on uh these two limited series they're good this is this is from the era of comics when i was actively collecting and i I, my mind was blown by these stories i i mean it it's it again it's just interesting like with 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 time travel in general it's you know the whole like oh well this had to happen this way so this is why we're time traveling at at these times to do these things instead of like um and so you just you just wonder, like for these characters who have like time travel abilities for like like Madame Sanctity or you know, or Rachel, who um I mean hers are more um the astral projection, chrono skimming is what they typically call it. So it's like, you know, you wonder how how closely related like those powers could be to like, for example, like a destiny who is scanning the you know the multiverse for like the things to do um because like bringing gene and cyclops into future bodies which again i'm fairly rusty on that so it's like did they have like these cloned bodies that they put them in like was that what it was no i think they were i think they like inhabited the bodies of people who were like genetically able to do that i haven't read that in a minute so yeah yeah. again like it's it's like kind of fuzzy because 
Rachel's whole thing was that she couldn't bring bodies with her, which is why she needed the Phoenix Force in order to travel with like her actual body. Um, so, so again, I remember it was definitely like an astral thing, but again, just wild. <laughs> I promise, <laughs> listeners, I promise we're trying to keep this simple. Okay, Claremont's on the book. It's the early 80s. He introduces the kind of concept of alternate timelines for the X-Men with Days of Future Past, which is just revolutionary. Wonderful, wonderful like, story. And the thing is, like, rereading it, it's actually kind of just a blip. It's just, like, a two-issue arc. Like, it's really yeah. not a thing. But the fact that, like, almost, like, so many of, like, the foundational stories of the X-Men are then built off of the concepts built by Days of Future Past is so crazy. This is a very complicated character, but keeping it simple, the daughter of Cyclops and Jean Grey from an alternate future, her name is Rachel, comes back to the present. She had a very dark childhood and she becomes a member of the X-Men and then Excalibur, she takes on the Phoenix Force. At a certain point, she gets lost in the time stream and ends because, up- Because, because uh, Captain Britain got lost in the time stream, Brian did, so she had to reach and pull him in while slingshotting herself. And then he yeah, became Britannic. Yeah, oh my god. That that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, that's another time. Uh uh, so she is now trapped 2,000 years in the future and ends up starting a religious movement in the same future where baby Nathan is being raised and where Cyclops and Jean also end up. And in in the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, they overthrow Apocalypse. But Cable still has, well, his name is Dayspring at the time. He has a clone called Strife who is out there. This child was named Strife. I mean, it wasn't ever going to go well for him. Uh, But he's part of this series. And this is kind of set years afterwards. So the overthrow of this like dark future society's leader apocalypse. And now the world is in like this broken place. Uh, The the series opens with uh, uh, this man named Fossil who's like predicting uh, these, oh, I'm going to skip past a whole bunch of this. He's talking about basically everything that happened. The Ascani at this point in time, they were a huge religious movement. It's very much like the Jedi in some ways. Yes, it is. Um, It's so weird. They spent all these years kind of preparing for the Messiah who is Dayspring and they've fallen into disrepair. Rachel's now uh, gone. But also like, pause, It's, it's like, uh, matriarchal Jedi, not like yes. the patriarchal Jedi, because again, it's founded by Rachel. Maybe who... it's more like the Aes Sedai from the Wheel of Time, <laughs> uh, which I have I have not read, but I have definitely heard that comparison before by other nerds. Um, but uh, it's interesting that uh, so again, like Rachel, when she gets flung into the future, um, she you know just I I remember there there's like a a character that she like defeated who, uh, and then, like, uh, other people just sort of, like, oh, you're the person we're gonna follow. Sounds good. And they all start, like, wearing, like, the hound uniform as, like, part of, like, their regular garb, um, which is also just, like, a weird reclaiming moment for Rachel. <laughs> and the, um, word, the word Ascani means outsider. And when Ascani Sun begins, the Ascani are, like, scattered there's like a few survivors and there's a new person who has taken over the Ascani and this is where we're 50 minutes and we're finally getting to Madame Sanctity who is the leader of this place but she's nuts she's a woman who's kind of just floating and like 
kind of disconnected. You wonder if she's looking into alternate timelines. She's definitely mad and definitely a little bit evil. Uh, she's like in skin tight green with like spikes down the center. Uh, she kind of looks like a hound from Rachel's Future for those that are familiar. Uh, and she meets a young woman who's a, a, a novitiate, if I'm getting that word right, uh, named Aaliyah. And she calls Aaliyah to her. Okay, we got to take another sidestep. Fuck. Whew. Wolverine, hugely popular in the 80s. In the 90s, Cable became crazy popular. He had a series that went over 100 issues. Deadpool was the other one that was like huge. That's X-Men ancillary. Cable had this past referenced all the time where he had this woman he was married to named Jen Scott, who's named after Jean and Scott, but her real name is Aaliyah. And she has a child named Tyler, who's Cable's stepson, who's a guy named Genesis who travels back into the past and runs the Dark Knight. And Tolliver. <laughs> and there's Tolliver. Yeah, he's Tolliver. This is, so this is the character Aaliyah who becomes Nathan's wife. And we've seen her referenced as Jen Scott. And basically, Madame Sanctity calls her and says, the Ascani son is coming. And Aaliyah's like, what? Like, that's still a thing? We're still doing the Ascani <laughs> son? I thought we were past that. And like, Madame Sanctity is like laughing wildly. And we see that the Ascani are living in a place called Ebenshire, which is described as, quote, I'm going to read the captions here. A legendary place where genetic handiwork on the local vegetation ran amok. The government claimed it to be uninhabitable. And as the years went by, it was all but forgotten. Thus, it would only be such an area, excuse me, an area such as this, that the last bastion of the once, survive, once strong clan Ascani remains, led by a woman who has taken the name Madame Sanctity. She's a direct disciple of the Mother Ascani, a person equated by many as God herself, but with Mother Ascani now long dead, her teachings are remembered by a scarce few and thus interpreted as individuals will, individuals who can be corrupted, self-aggrandizing, and even insane. And Strife is still free, and he's got a guy named Chavert, who is basically named after Javert from the uh, <laughs> is. Who We're going to learn this about this guy, but he got sent into the past to fight Cable and then put in suspended animation for 2,000 years, and now he's back in the future raising strife. <laughs> Holy fuck, I'm trying to keep this simple, yeah. I promise. So, yeah. so, so like, the, the again, we haven't, we haven't even gotten to, like, her origin yet. <laughs> like, like, because like so like the thing is when uh because like you know rachel spends all you know all of this time in the future and it isn't until she's like an older woman that she then goes oh by the way we also need to like go rescue my brother from the techno organic virus and so like that's how they get brought into the future but she's already an old lady by then and so then as is madam sanctity and i think just i guess the implication is that because she is already kind of insane because of being lost in the time stream for however long she was, plus her, you know, time travel powers as is, and then just sort of like the, I guess, like religious zealousness of her, like being like, oh, we're following these teachings, which is also like, what are her teachings aside from just like, hey, we need to like, raise my brother <laughs> yeah I, I like it's it's so weird that's like what like what is the actual dogma of this of this like religion that is the Ascani because it's like because like their whole catchphrase is um what is is or something yeah. like that yeah which is so like but it's not because y'all fuck with time all the time well, which is so passive aggressive <laughs> yes 
when Madame Sanctity's running it, you see a lot of like local villagers who are like bringing her tribute. She's like feeding on their energy. She calls it psionic love. And Aaliyah's like, why aren't we helping them? And she's like, that's not our job, bitch. And meanwhile, like Strife is hunting her because he wants to absorb Madame Sanctity's power. And then Aaliyah finds Dayspring, who is Nathan, and brings him in to train as an Ascani, which he's a boy. So that's like against the rules, but whatever. And uh, and Madame Sanctity puts Aaliyah in charge of training the boy. And she says, and yours is a special charge, girl, for he is the one foretold, the child of the first ones brought from antiquity through the currents of time by the Ascani mother herself to save us in these dark, deadly days. For in truth, Aaliyah, he is the Ascani son. And then she gives like a big speech to the crowd, like the Ascani son is here. She says, rejoice my faithful flock and let me tell you of the last action of our lost mother Ascani on the day of our tragic fall, how she plucked a child from an era long, long gone and delivered him unto us to awaken us here as a bright and shining light to lead us out of the darkness of the past and pull for a pull away from the shadow which threatens across the face of our future. But then the Canaanites who were like the apocalypse leftovers attack and they destroy Ebenshire. And like Madame Sanctity drains all of her power to fight back, but Strife is attacking and Madame Sanctity is lost. And Aaliyah's like, oh no, she's dead. And then she goes off with Cable at the end or with Dayspring at the end. But it turns out Madame Sanctity is alive and she forms a like a bond with Strife. And they're like, hey, let's work together, which I don't think has ever been followed up on. Like, not really, no. Because we see Strife later and Madame Sanctity is not really part of that story. So let's... Let's. We covered Ascani Sun quickly. There. What are your thoughts on the so, introduction so, of this again, character? Like theories. So I think because she is insane by this point. Because again, uh, you know, Tanya and Rachel seem to be about the same age when we see them. Because we've again, we've already covered Uncanny X Men minus one technically. Um, so like they're around the same age at that point. So obviously, Rachel then dies kind of of old age. Um, when she pulls uh, Cable and Jean and Scott and you know into the you know into the future, so obviously Madame Sanctity is also very old, and also as we can kind of see, kind of crazy. Um, so I think like I assume that her seeing strife and thinking that oh I can also put my influence over this kid, and so then I wonder whether or not and again never explained again Marvel feel free to steal this idea if you ever want to close up this weekend. <laughs> um, but I just assume that, like, obviously Strife either then uses her as his time machine, like, like that's the reason that he can then travel through time independently of, of other people, or if he just, like, absorbed her power eventually and just... Yeah, so... That's how they kind of got rid of her. After Ascani Sun, all we're meant to understand about this woman is she's like the crazy cult leader who's a little yeah. insane and pretty powerful. And it seems like they're setting up a story for her and Strife to, you know, they're going to like follow up on Cable's story sometime. Yeah. But instead she becomes something else. Over her next several appearances, Madame Sanctity becomes the woman in the future who's meddling in the timeline of the past. So the next time we see her, there's a fall... <sighs> There's a follow-up series to the Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix called The Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, where they go back in time to 1859, and they are looking at the origins of Mr. Sinister, who is the mad geneticist Nathaniel Essex, who's like a contemporary of Charles Darwin. And it turns out Madame Sanctity is the one that sent them back in the past for a particular mission. 
And I, again, I love the art on this series. This is John, John Paulion. It's kind of unlike anything else around it's this. It's super pretty. wild. Uh, tell me your thoughts on the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. So, so again, like it's just for you know, for like reference of this character, it's just such a weird sort of like left field, like girl, what's what's your end game here? Like, like, like why? Like why? Like why is it important for her to send particularly Cyclops and Phoenix? Which again, she could have sent anybody. She could have. She also could have just been like, you know, we're gonna. Kill, kill Apocalypse when he was a baby, like, you know, you know, millions of years ago or whatever. It's just so, it's just so left field for her to be like, because also, I can't remember, in this thing, she's also younger than she appears in Ascani Sun. Yeah, so this, she's either de-aged or she, maybe she's like, uh, she's like the woman from Tangled who when she steals your life, she, she. Well, or, or, or I just wonder, again, like her personal timeline or if she did, like, did she do this under Rachel's guidance being like, hey, I need you to go do this, but like, I'm, you know, I, because I can only do like chrono skimming stuff, I need you to like literally pull them into the, you know, into the past or whatever. It's just, and, we, and we truly don't even have an understanding of what her power set is here. In issue right. number two, it's 1859 and she appears to Jean Grey, who doesn't know what the fuck she's doing 150 <laughs> years in the past. Right. And she says, she says, Jean Grey, guardian of he who shall deliver us, I am Sanctity, <laughs> last, last of the Ascani sisterhood, burdened with guarding the timeline. It is I who have humbly brought you and Dayspring's father to this age. You are charged with an awesome duty. If you do not save this present, then the future is damned. Look at this world, milady, a world of gas and steam, of clumsy machines and crude science. Would there be anyone in this world able to withstand the power of the evil one? Meaning, of course, Apocalypse. And you learn that there's the danger of Apocalypse, who's from ancient Egypt, awakening in this timeline and like conquering the planet. So it seems like that's why Cyclops and Jean Grey have been sent back to stop this from happening. Which again, maybe that's what always happened. The reason Apocalypse never took over is because this woman from the future sent people from the present back to the past. Uh, and then she right. says, the past, present, and future are as one, but even we Ascani, though able to travel along the spokes of the ages, cannot stand outside the wheel of time, which seems a direct Isidai reference. <laughs> she uh, she says she says she can only see a fragment of time and not the big picture. Uh, and then she says, but the ancient texts speak of a place called Milbury House, which is a reference to Mr. Sinister where the forking paths of destiny meet and where you will find a man, a man called Essex, a man whose soul will be the battleground on which the future will be decided. We can maintain your physical forms for a limited time in this age, O oh lady. You have just 48 hours to find Essex and stop the rise of apocalypse. All our futures, everything you've ever known lives or dies in the next two days. <laughs> now, the interesting thing here is this is directly responsible for the creation of Mr. Sinister, who's powered up by uh by uh, apocalypse and mr sinister is directly responsible for the creation of cable yeah in so, the future because so, he creates madeline Pryor. so you almost right. wonder if she's trying to get the birth of dayspring to result from and, and 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 i i guess like that's the like i think us looking outside you know extrapolating it's like that's 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 the whole reason that she has to send them there it's not necessarily to quote stop apocalypse but they need to create mr sinister in order for dayspring who will eventually again kill apocalypse which is you know his whole storyline for you know the 90s yeah. um 
if if like that like like that's kind of what they're going with here and like the sort of backwards way and also for like readers giving us the backstory of Mr. Sinister uh which uh, up until this point I don't think had even really been mentioned at all no no it's and it's a wild one we'll get to more Mr. Sinister content on my show eventually yeah, yeah, yeah. now are you did you see the new Ant-Man I did so there's a uh, Kang, this character Kang in that is, keeps saying, he's like lecturing, once you see the timeline the way I do, it doesn't look the same anymore. Like right. people are living in a linear stream. And this is an example where it's like past, present, future, recent, past, far future, far past, like everything's mixing together. And for the this through line of Madame Sanctity of this, she's clearly a, a character who sees things very differently. So right. she comes back in issue four and they've stopped Apocalypse. And she says, once more, you have proved yourselves worthy of blessing and reverence. The men of the Hellfire Club, who they fight, the 1800s Hellfire Club, will be disappointed as their awaited signal will not now come. Their dark messiah dispatched once more into dormancy. And they're like, oh, no, we created Mr. Sinister. And Sanctity says, consider, if you will, the role Nathaniel Essex plays in the grand scheme of human history, not just in your life, but the lives of us all. It is Mr. Sinister for his own twisted reasons, but he nonetheless who orchestrates the birth of your son, Scott Summers, your son, the future savior, Nathan Dayspring Summers, the man also called Cable. She also says, time is not a thing so easily quantified, kinsman. We are all of us too small and too embroiled in the stuff of that to be able to stand outside the infinite frame of destiny we all serve a function, make sacrifices, and hope in the end we made a difference. And make no mistake, you did present or prevent that primitive world from being crushed by apocalypse. Perhaps lesser, uh, sometimes lesser evils are necessary. If greater evils are to be overcome, I take my leave. And then she disappears. And this is like one of those like wheels within wheels within wheels kinds of stories. But it's complicated, but it's also fascinating. Uh, before we keep going, thoughts? So it's uh, so again, ba- based on like Tanya's personal timeline, it makes you wonder whether or not Rachel, even though she was not there when he was born, but like there when Nathan was a baby, and is like, oh, like I need to make sure that like my brother gets born, and there's like this weird thing that we don't really know what happens that, but like that creates Mister Sinister, so we have to like unfortunately make that happen and that also just kind of with the current books and like the sins of sinister i it would that would be kind of like an interesting thing to bring up in the fact that like rachel and tanya trask had a hand in creating mr sinister yeah so our uh for for current listeners uh as we're recording this there's a new series coming out called the sins of sinister a new event where Sinister has cloned Moira McTaggart and he's using these clones to live alternate timelines, killing the clones and then resetting it. So he can see what might possibly come forward, which is taking yeah. all of the crazy that we're talking about today and flipping it on, on its head. It's, it's fucking it from so, the side. <laughs> it's so maddening, but also just like so, so crazy. But again, again it's, it's, it's just it's just kind of interesting to see like, like where, again, for the purpose of, of this, like seeing where like Tanya is in her own sort of thing. Cause again, it it definitely sounds like she's sort of making sure that like things happen the way that they're supposed to happen. And I guess, you know, for most time travelers, it's more of like a self-preservation thing. Like I won't exist if these things don't happen. And this thing is a threat to me not existing. 
Um, so you just wonder whether or not like that's, and in order for Cable to become Cable, like they have to have a Mr. Sinister or there potentially wouldn't be a Cable. So at this point, Madame Sanctity has become one recurring character in a complicated weaving of lots of characters in the X-Men franchise. We get three stories of her in 1997. One of them is X-Man number 25. I am not going to go deep into this, but I do have a big X-Man episode coming up on my show, which is wild. But Stephen Grant, uh, make sure to give it a listen. So X-Man is from an alternate timeline. He is a Mr. Sinister created clone of, uh, or excuse me, uh, offspring of Cyclops and Jean Grey's DNA. He's, what if Cable were really powerful and young? And he comes into our world and he's a huge character for a long time. His his series ran for 79 or 75 issues, which is nuts. Uh, but in number 25, Madame Sanctity appears to Cyclops and Jean Grey in like one page and basically says, be careful, Madeline Pryor's coming back. Yeah, And then in Cable number 42 in 1997, this is a Todd DeZago era, uh, there's a number of people from Cable's future who have come back to the present. He's got all these adventures. There's Blacksmith and Sincere and all these, I don't know, actually, I don't know where Sincere's from. Just all uh, these people. Genesis slash Tolliver, there's all these characters. Madame Sanctity has sent Chevere back to the past, and he's been here for decades, and he, he has a particular mission to like push Cable toward his destiny and and Sanctity sent him back here to do this but then he ends up in suspended animation for 2,000 years and then he's an old man in like the future that we can cover that pretty quickly but we're seeing Madame Sanctity involving herself in what she considers key moments that seem largely related to the development of Cable then we get Uncanny X-Men minus one so after all this time, now we have the retcon of learning that this woman is the daughter of Oliver Trask, which is crazy. Uh, so, yes. Amanda, let me turn it over to you for this part. Tell us what happens in Uncanny X-Men Minus so, One. So in, in Uncanny X-Men Minus One, which I know that, you know, we've already covered, but basically uh, Tanya goes into the past to, she says to Rachel in order to sort of like see her family to like, either let them know that she's okay or whatever. We don't like fully know like her reason why, but Rachel is then like, uh, hey bitch, like this is not a good idea. We shouldn't be like, and it, it almost seems like Rachel's like, hey, this isn't one of the times that we agreed upon. Like this is not a time for you to be here. Well, even more, Tanya, we learn after her powers activated, she got lost in the time stream yes. and it was Rachel in the future that pulled her out of it. So this right. is when Rachel's still young. So yes. Rachel's like a mentor, but also kind of a savior to this woman. And is like teaching her how to use her time travel powers. So there's a yes. whole bunch of story to explore there. Yeah. And, and, and again, like, so for me, it just it just seems very much like, hey, um, Tanya, we didn't agree that we were coming back here. Like, this seems like not a great idea for us to like be here and like poking around here. Because this isn't like one of the things that like we've kind of talked about or whatever. And, and again, it's also so very, it, again, they both seem to be young women at this point. Um, and so, like, they get, in, like, a weird psychic fight, and then, like, you know, and, like, that kind of gets resolved. But we find out that, again, like, Madame Sanctity, or Sanctity is um, Tanya, and her sort of parting gift, uh, and I guess her whole kind of motivation for going back in time is to uh, put the identities of the 12, or, again, is it the actual 12 that we get, or is it, like, these false 12 that we had gotten when the 12 were first referenced you know god in like 
Was so, it was it an X Factor book or something? Tanya Tanya is impatient for the arrival of the Messiah, the Ascani son in the future, and she wants to go back in the past to kind of speed things along, basically. Right. And she uploads a program in a CD, which is adorable, into <laughs> Master Mold, which is the robot her dad has built to uh, create Sentinels. Uh, about the twelve, and my understanding, and the, the way we kind of delved into it in our episode on that is we kind of decided like Apocalypse took this and like made it something else, but right. she's manipulating the past in a crazy, I am not going to get farther into the 12 today. We're just going to say <laughs> that Tanya tried to do something and it didn't work out and it's not a great story. <laughs> right. So, so, I mean, that's another story that just kind of happened where it was like, there was this great idea that happened and then it just didn't play out the way because someone else got a different idea for it, which again happens. It's, it, it's a thing. Well, the, the assignment, this is during flashback month, the assignment uh -huh. for all of the writers at the time was you have to take a month and go back and tell a story set before number one in the 60s, but it also has to tie into what you're doing in your current stories. Yes. In the present. So we get this kind of, it's pretty brilliant, actually. It's a Bolivar Trask story set before X-Men number one that sets up what they were doing with the 12 storyline in the, in the present. Right. Which is smart, but it, it's not a great payoff in the yeah, end. Yeah, well, be, because the, the 12, as we find out, doesn't really have anything to do, like, with the Sentinels or, like, you know, what whatever they're doing. And it's also, like, again, like, Tanya's motivations for giving the Sentinels, like, the 12. So uh, is, it, is it her trying to be like, hey, if we kill Apocalypse now, uh, because, cause again, like, you know, we find out in the 12 that really what they're doing is they're just trying to reinvigorate apocalypse so yeah. it's like is she like is she doing that to be like let's sacrifice these 12 people in order for apocalypse to not happen but part of that 12 are two versions of nathan summers and <laughs> scott and Jean gray so it's very it's very weird that it's like she either want and like i i can't remember because again the the 12 get referenced like periodically over the years but i feel like scott and Jean somehow always kind of come up in that story but it also you know franklin richards was mentioned to be one i want to say some of the new mutants like cannonball and danny moonstar i think were pictured franklin at one richards time. isn't even a mutant anymore i know oh. <laughs> um but, but but anyway it's it's just it's wild that, so, that I, I, again again so like what what's tanya's motivation for giving the 12 is it again is it is it to sort of like stop apocalypse now or to like make that happen quicker because like if all of a sudden they realize that they're under attack that apocalypse is going to be like oh well, i need to like absorb these people's energies now the it's, key it's, piece, it's just such a weird thing the key piece of this for me is the bolivar trask story and i'll probably end up doing a trask family episode on this channel one day but bolivar is like the super republican guy who got government backing to hunt down mutants which is kind of like people getting government backing to do like fucking anti-trans or anti-abortion legislation it's awful but when you learn this backstory of him having uh, two children who are mutants, one of whom has disappeared into the timeline, the other who has predicted a future where his mother will die in a car accident, and then it happens. And he designs this like mutant technology to block his son's powers. That's the big bling necklace we talked about. Yeah. So th the key part of this issue for me is Tanya's interaction with her dad, which, which Rachel ends up deleting from Bolivar's mind. But let me read this really quickly. She's talking to her dad, who's like, again, his daughter disappeared. Now she's back older. She says to him, 
Remember when I first started manifesting my genetic mutation? I would phase out of sync with time. Each spell found me a way uh, longer and longer. Someone, a friend, another mutant, ultimately pulled me to shore in the future. So far, so very far in the future. And then a little while later, she says, My time here is short, Father. The strain I'm putting on my mind and body to maintain a grip here in the past is taking its toll. I came here to convince you and my brother to abandon this crusade of yours. I know in my soul you're trying to do the right thing, but you must believe me when I tell you that this way only uh, that this way lies only madness and death. I've witnessed it. On my word as your daughter, I'm telling you that. And then Rachel intervenes and she uploads the 12 programming. Uh, let me cover her last appearance quickly, and then let's talk a little bit about her powers for a second. Oh, there, well, there's a couple more. I'll be quick. <laughs> yeah. Cable 52, it's the Chaver story. This is where she sends him to the past. Uh, she sends him for a mission most dire. Uh, when you grow up, you're going to, I'm going to become the high priestess of the Ascani church. Uh, I'm the one that sent you back here. This is your reality from now on. And she like visits him multiple times in the past ultimately to try to force Cable into a confrontation with Apocalypse. And this is like a long running story through Cable. We're not, we're going to kind of stop there on that one. Cable number 69, 1998. There's a group of chronologists called the Maximum Secret, which sounds like some sort of women's product that I do not <laughs> want to know about. Uh, they pull Madame Sanctity out of the time stream in order to hold her accountable for her meddling in the time stream. And they plan to execute her and bring Cable in to witness it. Uh, but Cable accidentally like, ends up saving her and then she gets released into the time stream. That sounds like a really big Madame Sanctity story, but ultimately she doesn't have very much to do with it. And then oh, finally- a, a woman with no agency and a Cable book? Who knew? <laughs> and then finally in X-Men Phoenix number three, this is 1999, this is a short series about Rachel arriving in the future to form the Ascani, and there's a single panel where there's a group of children in the issue, and one of them calls herself Sanctity. And this might be Tanya, but it also could be just a different character. So in my mind, if we're trying to figure out who Madame Sanctity is, there's kind of like three versions of her. There's the girl who just got lost in the time stream, who wants a particular type of story with her family. She's the lost child. Her connection with Rachel there is really fascinating to me. Then there's the, the Ascani version of her uh, who starts like manipulating events and learning how to use her powers. And then there's the crazy old lady version. So like the version we meet first is the one that's farthest along in her life, which ends with her forming that bond with strife. And I don't think we've had that story yet. Uh, so the the time travel of it all, she's like Hang the Conqueror. Uh, I'm, I'm she's very of, Gandalf starting her life at the end and moving backwards. <laughs> I'm thinking of that really good annual. I don't have the number. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis does a story about Eva Bell or Tempest getting <gasps> oh, lost, mm -hmm. getting lost in like an alternate timeline where she has a child and she has to leave her behind. Mm -hmm. Like this story has been done with different characters across the franchise. Uh, but this Madame Sanctity is a character that could show up in a comic book tomorrow. And there's a bajillion stories that could be told with her. She has a right. wild connection to the X-Men. So many of their key characters. Right. And and again, like it's it's the like what's like what's her motivation? And and sort of like, you know, we never really fully understand, aside from Cable being the most important person ever in the time stream. Um, we never really understand like what the Ascani 
are supposedly doing like what like what is their sort of religion what you know what are they um you know what what are they trying to do aside from literally protecting cable and making sure that he comes to exist and all because also it's if i if i remember correctly it's rachel's idea to clone him to make sure that they have a backup plan um in case like the techno or organic virus kills him um which is also just wild to me <laughs> i adore a time travel story or an alternate dimension story when it's done well in dr strange when he goes in that alternate world where they like uh, there's like this alternate team of the Illuminati. That was so fun. Yeah. So, so like, yes, but so Rachel, at the time when she gets thrown into the future to become Ascani, right? She already knows that Cable is her brother and she knows that he has an evil twin who tried to kill everybody. So what does she do when she first gets there? Is <laughs> she's like, oh, I have to bring my baby brother into the future and clone him. It's like, bitch, you already know where this is going. And so it's very interesting that like, uh, you know, that 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 Tanya is just like, oh, well now, it, and, and again, bringing back to the whatever is, is. So she's like, oh, well, I have to make sure that all of this nonsense happens because this is what we do. What well, all of these, all of these characters that we started with Destiny and Tempo mm -hmm. and Rachel, there's there's this idea of we have to preserve the sanctity of this timeline. So, uh, oh, I just used the word sanctity. Drink, drink for saying the name of uh, the, name of the, <laughs> the title of the show. Um, me and my friends have a, a drinking game that when you're watching a movie or a play or whatever, and someone says the name of the show. Um, unless it's someone's like character, like a character's name, like when you're watching John Wick, you don't have to drink every time someone calls him John. Like you know what I mean. But so, like for example, we're what what did, what did we just watch the other day? Um, oh, we I saw Kinky Boots, and like I forgot. So like in the movie version, like the the movie that the play is based on, they never really say Kinky Boots, but they like say it like three times in the show, and it's like drink. Oh, but the fact that you just used sanctity—I didn't even mean to. That's that's yeah. actually kind of fantastic. But, but again, so so then is that then her motivation throughout all of this? Is that well, it seems her job to maintain whatever is is like so destiny. Destiny surrenders to her death because it had to happen. It was the thing that was always going to happen. Sanctity is different. There's characters who want to preserve the timeline, and there's characters who want to change it or alter it to what they want it to be without caring about the consequences. And she's one of those that's more reckless with her choices. I mean, listen to these names, Sanctity, Destiny. I mean, for fuck's sake. Uh, I, what I was saying before is I love a good time travel story. The idea of meeting your future self or what could have been is great. I really hate it when they try to make it high concept. Uh, I love Jason Aaron as a writer, but his like last several years on Avengers where it's like, teams of characters from different dimensions who are all trying to multiverse fuck blah blah it drives me mad the and bringing idea the phoenix of, in as thor's mom for no reason i love kang the conqueror i hate if you know what this is the council of cross time yes. kings fucking yes. hate it hate it and that's what they're <laughs> going to do in the avengers movie and as long as they keep it simple i'm okay because i can handle a certain amount of mindfuckery right this is a reason a lot of people and i love steve orlando but a lot of people really struggled with his recent marauders because it was so high concept 
There's so yeah. many alternate timelines mixed together that it's hard to keep track of. And, 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 and leaders that way. And 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 that's one of the reasons that like, you know, when people mine all of these alternate timelines, like for example, the the ultimate universe, which they're bringing back again, Jesus Christ. But it's or, <laughs> or um uh AOA. AOA was a fairly straightforward concept. And the, good. Yeah. And the original miniseries and my the mini series is i guess you know to say the multiple of series um those were all great it was always meant to be this four issue uh book uh you know these stories inside the book and then had like these like bookend kind of things when they started going back and fucking with it more is when and like bring out like the the apocalypse seed and like the whole like weird convergence where they had like um you know uh dazzlers exiles team and like ex- i'm like this is this is too much like you could like keep it simple stupid like just quantum leap quantum leap great right, uh, right exiles great if you're reading venom right now and i love al ewing but al ewing's venom right now venom has taken the place of the symbiote god null and he's now existing outside the timeline where he has seven different versions of himself all existing together while you're seeing him go back in the timeline and become these different seven versions of himself and it's it's smart and it's followable but i have to like because i keep i keep some of the databases for marvel still so i have to like really like delve in and take notes and it it's high concept it's a lot for me to keep track of madam sanctity is bordering on that level of holy fuck and i think it's mostly because a lot of different writers are using her right types of concepts but and 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 also use using her as the sort of like vehicle without actually establishing like who this person is like like again giving her a solid motivation for doing the things that she's doing instead they're just like oh again because when she was originally introduced oh she's just the old crazy lady who's now in charge of this thing like and then people are like oh well i'm gonna take that old crazy lady and i'm gonna make her be the person who's doing this other stuff and it's like okay but we still haven't given her like true motivation yet and then like her again her last appearances again because she's gandalfing it through like continuity where she's getting younger and younger and and it's like then forcing a younger character into a part where that you know it kind of no longer makes sense for them to be that older person anymore Um, and we may never see this character again really truly we've never seen her interact with her brother we've seen very little of bolivar trask's origins it's all filled in kind of behind the scenes god first x-men we'll get there (laughs) sometime uh but for for listeners i know we made today very complicated and high concept but i hope we made this really trackable and followable because we did not delve into the lives of cable and strife and apocalypse and the phoenix all, all the other ancillary parts of this that are so key I came into this episode with a an understanding of Madam Sanctity, but Demanda, this conversation has uh, changed this my character. Like, I, I have to find like a narrative template to attach to characters, and we make it right. into this like high concept multiversal timeline thing, and then we're like, okay, her her relationship with time travel and the time stream is almost the most fascinating part of this character because she is obsessed with making some sort of particular future happen. Right. And during and so- during when Rachel is mentoring her, after Rachel is gone, and even farther into the future, like certain things in the past, it's like really important for her to make them happen. 
And it's almost like you wonder if she's just like keeps trying to muck with the time stream and it keeps failing and she just keeps fucking trying because she's a crazy lady. Right. Like, it's and, almost and, where you wonder if it lands for her. Right. And so 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 again, I I I think and my and you know, and my and us talking today and me kind of bring it back in, and I kind of said this already, but I feel like I think the kind of how to wrap her in a bow, if you can, because it is definitely a strangled mess of nonsense. But to kind of wrap her in a bow is like, I feel like, I guess her motivation is to continue to make the things happen that are supposed to happen. Again, what is, is. So if that if that's something that she knows is supposed to happen, she's going to make sure that that thing happens for better or for worse. So like, again, she might have joined Cable to be like, well, Cable needs to be able to like, gain powers of time travel. So I guess I got to join with him now because I don't know any other way for him to then get that. Or, you know, I need to mentor him. So that way he becomes the person that he is. That way Cable then becomes the person he is. Because if he doesn't do that, then Cable won't do this. So I wonder if like that's sort of her, 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 if... mo- her character motivation, again, coming from like theater and stuff. Like that's that, like, is that, is that her, her core where she's like, I need to make sure that that these crazy things happen because if they don't, I don't know any other way for them to happen. My least favorite Marvel character to keep track of is Kang the Conqueror. It's so fucking complicated. But if you want to see a way that this is done right, go read the Kang the Conqueror series from like two years ago by, by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Uh, but think of what it would it take for a modern writer. Let's say I'm pitching a, a limited series to Marvel and I'm like, I want to take old lady Madam Sanctity and young Strife after Ascani's son number four, when the two of them have formed a bond and they're going to pull a team of like X-Men from the past into the future to interact with Cable or Dayspring and Aaliyah during his training process before Dayspring and Strife ever go to the past. That would be a really fun series to write. But think of the amount of explanation it would take on the page to make that make sense to comic readers. And uh, it's so convoluted. It, it She becomes a character that's almost untouchable because nobody wants to dig in unless they want to listen to a 90 minute episode on Grand Malkin. Right. Nobody and, wants to and, dig in to figure this character And also out. like, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, but like modern comics are just not written that way anymore. Yeah, it's different. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's a very, like comics are definitely a very different beast. Like you could throw out a random miniseries called Ascani Sun and just be like, if you don't get it, you can go back to this backlog and figure it out. Whereas like now readers, like, unless it's explained in that, just, you know, the, just what happened page beforehand, they don't want to like just jump right back in or they're going to wait for that, that to end and then get bookended in right. a, in a TPB and then read from start to finish. Well, and is- the closest, the closest, closest example we have is the Marauder series that I just referenced because not only does, uh, Steve Orlando wrote the 2099 recent series. Mm-hmm. He kind of cleaned up the, the crazy of that was that timeline, but he's brought characters from that timeline into the modern timeline now. Oh, I don't think you know this yet. I'm going to reveal this live. I talked to you about how they made the civilization 2 billion years ago. Uh-huh. One of those characters is actually Krakoa. There's a character named Grove who over the period of billions of years is is Krakoa. Krakoa is a mutant from this ancient civilization is what they've revealed. It's nuts. <laughs> and again, it's the way that it always was. And if I right, right. hadn't done this, then they would have, we wouldn't have Krakoa now. Right, right. So, so I, yeah, again, I, I, I wonder if, again, just us two friends, talking about nerd shit on a podcast <laughs> like I, so I, I wonder if like that's kind of the uh 
the sort of theme, which is, you know, the the Ascani, what is, is. So like the, it, the, the reason that she did all of this stuff is because that's the way that it had to happen. And, 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 and also I just wonder whether or not like that's, that's the weird rigidity that she has, which is why she then falls into sort of like, well, it's, again, it's not our job to help these people. Like our job is to like fuck with the timeline to make sure that like things happen. I love a high concept story done simply is what this yeah. said for me. A yeah, time but... travel story or an alternate reality story that's simple is wonderful. A clone story that results in Madeline Pryor struggling with her identity, beautiful. A clone story that represents like eight versions of Peter Parker with all different creators and motivations trying to take him down over a five year span. That's the clone saga. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. interested. So right. it's, a, it's an interesting thing because we can take high concept things and keep them simple for a really fun story or we can make right. it super complicated. Right. Uh, Demanda, this has been wonderful. I uh, I actually feel really charged up and I I feel like I feel like a different understanding. This is one version of an X-Men story. We've got right. the space empire stuff. We've got the people hunting mutants stuff. This is the time travel, sci-fi, crazy stuff. And that's a huge part of this franchise. Uh, and this has been fun. I, I have like a really good energy about it. Thank <laughs> you for your time today. Again, again, this, it, again, how many appearances did she make? She doesn't even have like a full Zaladane. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like she, but, but also, but again, like she's, she's appeared in like these sort of key moments in, you know, sort of major points of, of the X-Men franchise where it's like, well, again, she had to, quote unquote in the universe she had to do these things or potentially we wouldn't be where we are today when we did our episode on uncanny x-men minus one and we were trying to do the review in 45 minutes if you go back and listen to i did i, I re-listened recently yeah. you can hear me struggling to try to explain madam sanctity and the 12 in a concise way that wouldn't get us lost in the weeds today right? we get a chance to get lost in the weeds so yes, i'm really glad we took this time and we certainly took a way much like madam sank to yourself we took a backwards <laughs> way into explaining this madam sank titty yes but, and, and also I, I i think it's interesting that you decided to do it chronologically of uh of uh like her appearances versus i thought that we would be going in i mean i know i like you know i read yeah. the notes no i considered i considered it both ways but the revelation that she's Bolivar Trask's daughter after all of these other stories is way like crazy. Yes. Because it's not, we don't learn that till the end of her. Let's right. see the when, lady from 2000 years in the future and reveal that Bolivar Trask had a daughter. Right. What the uh, which, fuck? Like, yeah, which is, which is also why I, I feel like, you know, when people, you know, when people talk about the MCU and they're like, oh, well, you have to watch it in timeline order. And I'm like, no, because like that's how retcons work is that you have to understand the references that have happened previously in order for you to then care about this the rest. Have you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Yes. Like, I think it's book six that's the prequel book and people are like, yeah, read yeah. first. And I'm like, no, read one first and then enjoy yeah. six when you it, get there. It, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, cause I, th that's the magician's nephew or whatever. I believe so. It's been yeah. a um, Because, yeah, because again, there are references in that book because because uh, like that's when you find out why the lamppost is there. So yeah. it's like, it's like, no, you wait till the sixth book to find out why the lamppost is there. Either that or like the whole mystery of what this lamppost is doing in the woods is not the mystery of why the lamppost is in the woods. 
Oh fuck! This has been fun. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's wrap now. Demanda has some appearances scheduled on my show, and we're already talking about doing some stuff later this year. I adore you, my friend. I love your brain. I love your drag. I think you're just a phenomenal person. Thank you um, so much. As we are wrapping up, where can people find you online, and what do we have to look forward to? We're putting this out in the uh, March eighth, I believe. Uh, Gray Malkin Lane is Gray Malkin PP like podcast. Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. Oh my God, I just weirdly said that. Gray Malkin P like podcast on Twitter. Gray Malkin <laughs> underscore Lane on Instagram. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos. We have just wrapped up volume one of the X-Men with the huge celebration week and we are launching into new content. So on the main show right after this, you can look forward to our review of Generation X minus one, which is very much an Emma Frost episode uh, featuring the incredible uh, creators, Thorne Gronbuck and Philip Seavey. And uh, the next Patreon after this is going to be with Trina Farrell on the character Shamrock. And I know Devanda's already talking about this one as well. Shamrock is nuts, man. This is another <laughs> crazy one. Uh, so, uh, Devanda, so how about like, you? So after this episode airs and before your Shamrock episode, I will be debuting my Shamrock cosplay. Again, it's literally in the mail on its way to me. Uh, I already have the hair. I'm going to make a mask. Um... Uh, I'm going to be debuting her at a brunch. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited to just perform as her for St. Patrick's Day and just be super excited. So uh, again, Every 10 years, someone brings Shamrock back and completely changes who she is. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. And I, I'm so honored to have Trina Farrell coming on with me because... I need someone Irish to do this character. You have to. You have so, to. So, so I'm very excited for that. Um, my, uh, my sort of like drag career has taken like a weird sidestep, um, but things that are confirmed moving forward. Um, at the By the way, as, as Demanda said, taking a weird sidestep, uh, she turned her hat sideways. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. Um, uh so uh, at, at the end of March, I'm going to be doing a guest speaking engagement uh, at Penn State University, which is very exciting. I'm going to be uh, talking with their, I think it's a college of, of gender and diversity, something, something. I probably should have look, look, looked that up, but oh, hold on. Let's, let's, let's take that again. Let me, let me actually get that correct. Um, on March 30th, I'm going to be... Uh, giving a guest speaking engagement with the Penn, uh, with Penn State University at the Center for Sexual and Gender Diversity. I'm going to be talking about cosplay, drag, and consent, as well as giving the kids a lovely sort of like drag slash cosplay tutorial, uh, which will be uh, very interesting and very cool. Um, I'm going to be appearing at several shows. Again, please follow me on social media, which I'll talk about at the end, uh, to just see about like local gigs here in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, but a really big thing for me is um, I'm waiting for official confirmation, but it looks like I'm going to be doing a story time for the LGBTQ plus caucus of Congress, which is pretty awesome. Um, and then uh, should be announced fairly soon. Uh, but in May, I'm going to be doing uh, an X an all X-Men drag show in Portland, Oregon, which I'm Fantastic. Which yes, which I'm very excited about. Again, details should be coming out about that soon. So if oh my it's God, not I want already, to come. <laughs> so please, please do. It would be so amazing. Um, it would be so great. Um, 
So uh, again, details of all of these things will be on my social media. Please come follow me at Demanda Martini, D-M-A-N-D-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. That's across all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Instagram, um, Cash App and Venmo. Uh, again, if you, if, you like, if you like cosplay and drag, guess what? It's not cheap. Um, so, <laughs> so, if you, so if you like what you see, tip me a dollar. If you don't like what you see, tip me too so I can afford better drag. um that's what what we like to say before shows um but yeah i've got a lot of really cool things coming up again hopefully i'll also be at FlameCon and fan x in uh salt lake city uh potentially uh new york comic-con again like the power of x-men crew is definitely hitting me hard to try to get up there for that we shall see um but uh but yeah a lot of a lot of really cool things happening uh later this year wonderful where can people find you online i said that like three times oh i'm so sorry it's okay cut that out i'm paying attention i just wanted to make sure we covered yeah yeah oh no i i definitely i definitely said it i spelled it out for the people again cut all that out okay demanda you are wonderful thank you thank you uh we will see you back on the show soon and thanks everybody for listening we'll see you back here on green malkin's patreon very soon Bye. bye